I'm Asan, and welcome to a special 9320 podcast. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Stefan, and really what we're going to look at today is COVID finances in football in general, and also at the recent loan um, facility that City have taken out for, I believe, 650 million euros or something approaching that. Morning, Stefan. How are you? Hi, good. Dollars, and we'll come on to the the uh, why it's interesting that it's denominated in dollars, actually. Okay, okay, excellent. Um, all right, well, look, uh, before we get into City in specifically, I just want you to give us a broad overview of the state of the game financially in Europe right now. And I guess that the the context would obviously be the transfer window and the kind of the the transfer speculation both around swap deals that seem strange uh, and also just stuff that feels wildly unrealistic right now. Um, and actually, I think a good starting place is France because the arse fell out of the finances of, of football in France um, last year or the, the earlier this year when I, I believe it's Canal Plus pulled their sponsorship, their, their TV deal or somebody pulled their TV deal took the money away and they had to new, do a new uh, television rights deal. So where, where is where does France find itself right now? Well, I mean, look, France is in the worst position of all the leagues, right? And okay. um, the, the, the problem in the game is, is, not, is, is obviously not just one country specific. Everybody's got to deal with the COVID situation. Mm. And, uh, you know, in my view, it is going to go on into winter uh, 21, particularly in Europe. So one of the advantages possibly that the UK will have is having the wave that it's got now, plus its vaccination rates early, which means that the English clubs at least have an opportunity to to have crowds in the ground mm. through winter 21. Now, we'll have to see whether that happens. I'm not, I'm not wholly convinced that it will happen completely, um, just just given the volume of cases, but I think it's extremely unlikely to be the case across Europe. So you've got a coming together of a number of factors. If you look at something like France, which is you know the worst the worst situation, uh, dominated obviously by PSG's um, unusual financial situation compared to the rest of the clubs, but they had a very very um, big deal. Uh, for, relative to, to the French game last year. So they had Media Pro was in there for, for around 800 million euros, mm-hmm. which I think was a new co set up uh, to to start a new subscription service around the French game yeah. uh, with another layer from BN at, at another 300 million euros. So around about 1.1, 1.2 million euros per annum. Now, that collapsed. So Media Pro collapsed. They did a settlement last season for a very, very small amount of money. I haven't got it to hand, but it was it was sort of, you know, a tenth of the of the one year deal. I think it was around about 100 million euros. So very limited compensation for the collapse of the deal. It's been replaced by Amazon. Now, I've seen a few comments that uh, what a great deal it is for French football supporters to be able to watch um on Amazon Prime for I think it's twelve euros a month, yes, which is a great deal. Except somebody's paying for it, and uh, and actually it's the French clubs that are paying for it because their deal is two fifty 
euros a year now. 250 million years. euros. Yeah, across the game, right? It's gone from one point, effectively wow. lost a billion euros a year. Now, you put on top of that the fact they've got no fans in the stadium and looking at the way you know France is at the moment, good chance there won't be fans in the stadium through until, let's say, March next year. And you've got, you know, a game that is completely screwed. Um, and they're all putting a very brave face on it. Some of the clubs are owned by very wealthy inter- individuals, which makes it a slightly different conversation. But really what should be happening in any sort of normal scenario is either a, a massive uh, amount of refinancing, which, but who's going to refinance given that their main um, media revenue is 250 million euros a year, which is minuscule across the league. You've got the domination of PSG, obviously broken a little bit by Lille last year, but it's not it's not a it's not something that's likely to sustain. No. And then on top of that, you've got some of your biggest teams, Lyon, Marseille, both failing again to qualify for the Champions League. So Lyon, this is another year where Lyon are not going to be in the Champions League next season. They've just lost probably their best player uh, for free. Uh you know that game, the French game, is in complete meltdown. You've then got Spain, right? So we all know about Barca, but slightly under the radar is what's happened at Real. Real have not signed a player for cash since before COVID, mm. not one, right? So they sold a few players um, over. I think it was uh, summer nineteen when they sold Hakimi and Regulon. Yeah. Um, but they haven't signed anybody since. They've signed Alibar on a free. Uh, Ramos has gone, so it's just kind of swap. They may get rid of uh, the guy, Varante United. We'll see. Um, but clearly, they're in, you know, they're hiding their level of deep distress. The idea that they're just about to make a 200 million euro bid for, uh, for, for, um, Mbappe in the last year of his contract. It's a nonsense, mm. right? So these guys are, they're not hiding it, but if you look at the subtle the subtle things that are there, the way that they're dealing, the sorts of deals that are being done, if you look even at PSG, right, all of them free transfers, except aside from a very suspicious Hakimi deal, right, which, I don't know, doesn't pass the sniff test to me at that that transfer fee. You know, not sure whether there's something else behind it with the Chinese owners of Inter or something else, or you know, maybe some kind of payment that's going to go the other way. But it looks suspiciously high when you in the context of the rest of those transactions. Hmm. Um, but the key thing to to watch really is any talk of huge amounts of money being spent by these teams. I think is a nonsense. Okay. So you've got, you know, the only the only the only country really that is in any sort of financial shape to do transfers for cash is the English game. Okay. And that's purely because of the TV revenue. Let me ask you something else. Um, try and project. What, what I'm interested in is how tricky the situation for Real and Barcelona is. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've seen people kind of say flippantly like, Oh, Barcelona are the next AC Milan. Right. Um, and then on the other side, I've seen people say, 
Well, Barcelona turn over more money than any other football club in the world. So it's a nonsense to say that they're going to end up like AC Milan. Um, where do you think, where do you think the truth lies in terms of, you know, both those clubs turn over an enormous amount of money? I don't think that even you would dispute that. Um, how, how, like, what is this in terms of their ability to remain at the forefront of European football, let's say over the next five years, what does this mean for that? It's a, it's a big. Set. So they're not completely screwed, and they're, they're almost the wrong clubs to look at because they're so big. And if you look when yeah. we come on to talk about the CFG raise, the debt raise, and the and the and the equity raise of of twenty nineteen with Silver Lake, you know the, these are uh, for want of a better word, these are franchises with enormous value, and so. You know, clubs like Barcelona Real, they're not they're not going anywhere, but they have huge rebuilding projects that are required for their teams if they want to remain at the top of the European game. Now, if they're both struggling within the within the Spanish game domestically, and struggling, I mean, to win the league, you know, these teams are not finishing outside the top three, mm. and uh, so that's. So that's a different that's a different question. They will struggle. They they there's no question that. One, yes, they have very big revenues, but a large chunk of the revenues are through the gate, and their costs have always been close to, you know, uh, uh, appropriate for that level of revenue. But the revenue is not there now. They've had massive hits to to revenue. So, look, it comes back to why they why they needed the Super League so urgently. They are in more um, distress than uh, than a lot of clubs the biggest issue in these game in the in the french league and in the spanish league are not actually psg real uh barca but more the valencias the uh sevilles the these teams the the second tier teams who have got wage bills that can't be flexed quickly if there are no fans in the stadium or if the tv deal collapses again so that's where the issues are in these games. I think for, in the long term, there's no real issue at Barcelona and Real Madrid. I mean, they just have a few lean years uh, at the highest level. Um, and we all know, anyway, these teams can compete. So um, that's where the trouble is. It does mean that their squads, I think, will be you know, at 20-year uh, lows in terms of quality. Because mm. there's no way around it. They, they, you know... They were, they are waiting. In my view, Real are waiting to make free transfer signings next summer of particularly Pogba and um, and Mbappe. Mbappe. Mm. And, and if they can pull off those two, they're complete game changers because clearly, you know, they're free transfers. The wages are obviously very high, but in, in terms of the um, you know the additional wage burden. It's not actually that dramatic, um, you know, compared to having to spend, let's say, a hundred, hundred and fifty million euros out the door on day one plus agents' fees on, on a signing, which is which is dead money the minute it goes out the window. So um, that's what I, I think. That's that's Real's game is to rebuild the side based on free transfers, and there are a flood of free transfers. Not this summer, but next summer. So let me ask you, I'm going to take you on a little bit of a tangent here uh, because I'm interested in the free transfer thing. Um, 
So what's happening right now? Is it that um, clubs have dished out really big contracts and are now going, you know what? If we renew this, we're going to have to give this guy a pay rise and it's just not worth doing that. We're just going to have to sit on it and and take the risk of the last 12 months, the last six months negotiating with the player then to do a deal and risk losing them on a free? Or is it the other side where the players are realising that they're being effectively locked in golden cages where these big clubs are going, you know, we're not going to sell you unless it's like silly money. And therefore they're running deals down because it gives them, it's easier then for them to choose what they, uh, what they want to do next. And will we see, do you think we'll see more of this? Do you think we'll see more of big play? Cause I look up, it's not just the two that you've mentioned. I think Varane, Fat Varane's only got a year left. Fat Ramos ended up going on a free. I think there's a Litany Goretzka at, um, at Bayern Munich. He's got a year left on his deal. He wants Leroy Sane money. They're like, we don't want to give you Leroy Sane money. Is there, where are we heading? What's the direction of travel here? Well, I think, I think the biggest issue is we've lost a couple of years. So because of COVID, we've, we've, we've sort of lost a, a usual transfer market. So what's happened is, a lot of players have gone, well, obviously I can't move. So they're, they're sitting there in, in 2020 and well, obviously I can't move in summer 2020, right? So it wasn't even a discussion. Yeah, if you were Bernardo Silva, you know, even if in March 20, you, you, you thought you wanted to leave, by the time you got to June 20, you realised you weren't going anywhere. And then you well, we'll have a look at it next summer. Well, he gets to June 2021, looks around and goes, well, actually, I'm not sure I can move this summer either. You know, I want to, but I just don't, I, I just can't see where I'm going to go. Now, it might change, of course. You know, somebody might, um, obviously, if the market starts to, if the British clubs start putting money into the market, the English clubs start putting money into the market cash, that could lubricate the market such that we get some deals at around mm. 50 million euros. I think much beyond 50 million euros to me looks almost impossible. Okay. Um, but, but it might lubricate those, those sorts of Jesus, Bernardo, Silva deals. Um, but if you've got those two years of, of kind of wanting to move, but not being able to same a little bit with Sterling as well, you know, his options have been massively reduced because what yeah. we talked about at Real Madrid and Barcelona, that's two years gone. And before you know it, if you take two years out of any player's contracts, before you know it, you, you're kind of going, well, are we staying or we renegotiate? What are we doing? Mm. And it just means, I think, you've just got a lot of players who have ended up in a situation where they're going, I think maybe maybe we'll just see it out now. You know, quite a yeah. few players have moved on freeze, have come to the end of their contracts, even Messi. You know, I mean, he could have gone for free. Yeah. Uh, you know, Donnarumma. Uh, there's, there's never been. I don't think we've ever seen the number of top players either at the end of contracts or a year from the end of their contracts as we have. I agree. Now, and and I think it's going to have a very very big impact uh, going forward because you know more the the more players see other players do it and nothing bad happening, the more are going to try it. Because I think the fear has always been, if I don't sign this contract and I get injured in the last year, what happens then? Yeah, do, do I completely screw my entire earning potential slash career? 
And I think that's always been a fear of players. And, you know, it's not really gone wrong for anybody yet. Do big clubs have to accept to um, to a greater or a lesser extent that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about City and Sterling right now. Um, let's just say hypothetically that Sterling comes back and they offer him a contract and he goes, you know what, you're all right. I don't want to sign a contract this summer. I want to see how the season goes. I didn't play very much in the last six months, so why would I tie myself down for another five years? Um, what do the club do there? I don't know. What can you do? Hmm. You know, I mean. at the end of the day... Does, does there have to be a level of acceptance across the big clubs that the players do hold a certain amount of power? I think I think we're already there. I think, yeah. I think they've... I think they've understood that for a while and, and I think the big clubs will have to understand that it cuts both ways and, yeah. you know, it will give them an opportunity to be able to sign other opportunities uh, for for no fee as well in the way that, uh, you know, Real already have, in the way that PSG already have. Uh, I mean, you know, the English clubs haven't. I think they're more bothered about their wage structures yeah. somewhat. Uh, I, don't, I don't see why it's so hard to differentiate inside the club between a player who signed on a free transfer versus a player that hasn't, but people seem to find it very difficult, um, it, particularly in the English clubs, that they are worried about it. Um, but, you know, I don't think, you know, what, what choice does City have on Sterling? I mean, really? Well, they don't. I mean, that's that the, the, the point is that, and I think that this is kind of, it's what makes the market so interesting for me. The reality is, like you said earlier, nobody's got any money. So if nobody's got any money, then if you want to sell players, you can't do it. Even if you want to sell a player, even if you want rid of a player, yeah, you're never getting the value that he's. you may think that he's worth. So it kind of leaves you two choices. You either basically give him away or you hold out. You go, all right, we'll hold out and we'll wait a year and hope that finances correct themselves and a buyer who is desperate for your player appears. Um, but you know, failing failing that, I'm not sure I'm not sure that there's a lot that can be done right now in terms of those types of situations, whether it be Sterling at City or, you know, I think that the Goretzka Bayern one is absolutely fascinating for me because on the face of it, you would go well, Leon Goretzka is a German international. He's playing at the biggest club in Germany, blah, blah, blah. You just think it's a no-brainer that that guy signs a new contract. Um, and yet here we sit and it sounds like they're at a serious, serious impasse. Now, I might be wrong. and My numbers might be wrong. And he might have two years left on his deal, but I'm fairly sure he's only got 12 months left on his deal, which in my opinion, for a player of that quality is and a club the size of Bayern it's huge to find themselves in that situation because it's even different than, than Real Madrid and Barcelona because I think me and you would both privately agree that if you look at the way that Madrid and Barcelona's wage bills have inflated in the last 10 years, they, they were already at absolute maximum. It was kind of madness where they were at. Um, and COVID has just basically cut them off at their knees. Bayern, were never, Bayern never really rolled like that. And yet they rolled the car, they, they really went big on Sarnay and they've obviously given him a massive contract. And now they're kind of stuck. They don't really know, you know, do they give all of those young German internationals the same contract that Sarnay's on? Well, they obviously 
don't want to do that. So it'll be. Uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, I think part of it as well is the stigma of turning down a contract and running your contract down is also diminishing within the clubs. Yeah. It's so, so you know, it's not. Um, Remember the James Milner thing. I mean, you know, City fans, are, a lot of City fans are still upset with James Milner for running his contract down. Twat. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like totally right. And 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 now you've got players, some of the top players in the world. I mean, if you go on transfer market um, and look at 2022 expiring contracts, Mbappe, Pedri, Goretzka, Varane, Pogba, Fatty, uh, Kessie. Kamavinga. Oh my gosh. Paula, Dembele, Insignia, Ronaldo. <laughs> wow. Okay. It goes on and on, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Stones. Wow. Right. That's... Sterling, I think. No, Sterling's 2023. He's got two years. Right. Okay. So, you know, but just go on there. Have a look at the, have a look at this, this thing that's coming down, down the, down the track for these clubs, right? And, uh, you know, that that's another driver. And we're going to know pretty soon anyway about the financial state of the clubs in summer 2022. Because unless fans are back in and COVID is under control, properly under control, then the, the finances of the clubs in 2022 is shot as well. So I Can think they- we're entering a new phase. Let me let me ask you because uh, we're going to move on to City in a second, but kind of a last point on this. Um, let's say this Delta variant means that stadiums are don't get beyond fifty percent or forty percent or whatever small percentage they can get into the in Spain, in Germany, France, Italy. Um, how does that affect what happens next summer? And what I mean by that is. Are the, is, the, is, the, is the situation going to get worse for these clubs or is it just a case of the status quo of today is going to remain? Well, no. Well, it gets worse because you can't keep holding off the inevitable. So mm. if you look at so you look at the, the English clubs, the English clubs are fortunate in that um, the proportion of match day of their total revenue is less than the rest of Europe. Okay, so a half full stadium, the impact of that on the English clubs is much less than it would be um, in in France or Spain. That's the starting point. Mm. Now, the exception to that one, or or the exceptions in my view, are Spurs and to a lesser extent, Arsenal. And the reason that it's a lesser extent is just because Arsenal have uh, a wealthier owner well, probably not wealthier, but but an owner that seems to be less, uh, m- m- uh, more interested in putting money in, and don't have the level of debt, third party debt that Spurs have. So I think Spurs, in particular, will be massively waxed by continuing uh, closure of stadiums um, across Europe. You'll get to a point where they just can't, they just can't pay the bills, right? I mean. That's the next step. Once you can't pay the bills, then you've, you, you, you know, the, the choice goes out of your hands. At the moment, people have got options, right? They can, they can paper over. They can do short-term kind of fixes. They can sell a player here, sell a player there. And they're all playing a game in relation to that. I mean, the French game, 
I mean, we'll come on to City, but you know, there, there are massive opportunities coming out of France for people to sign top players. Um, but you, so you can paper over the cracks. You can't do it over two, three years, especially where you don't have certainty as to what's coming. So I think I think COVID is still very, very important to the future of the European mm. game. Okay. So Manchester City, or actually uh, the City Football Group. Um, let's begin with what do you want to begin with? Do you want to begin with the the six hundred and fifty million dollar loan? that they've taken or well, to- uh, yeah well let's just the interesting thing is to to understand the 650 mm-hmm. you need to just take a step back and, and have a look at the accounts that they published on um on the first of july okay so um so those are the, those are the accounts that go for the year that ended june 2020 so they're already very old accounts or yeah. very old they're a year out they're a year, a year out day, old, right yeah um, um, so, you know, it only gives you a snapshot, but it also gives you some update because there's a requirement in the account to report on what, what are known as post-balance sheet events, i.e. those events that have happened to your company after the account state. So after, in City's case, the 30th of June, 2020. So it has to kind of update the things that have happened that are material between 30 June, 2020 and the time that you publish them, not not go into the details of the financials, but give an overview of, of the of the situations that's happened. So there's a few of those that are referred to in there. The key thing that the that the accounts go into, and you know, they are a really interesting and complicated set of accounts, um, because that group now, the, the CFG, is is a. Um, it's big only in, in context of football. It's not really that big a company, actually. Um, mm. Most of the revenue remains City. So only a relatively small amount. So City are about 88% of the revenue of the group. Gotcha. Okay. So um, the, the turnover of the CFG X City is only 66 million quid, which is you know, it was 96 actually in 2019, but because of COVID, it took a 30 million quid hit, but, you know, two, effectively two thirds um, of what it was in 2019. So it had a, it had a terrible year um, in, as, as you would expect. It's still mainly city, except when you look at the people, because, um, and this suggests um, to some of the, the club's critics, that a lot of the cost uh, of of MCFC is hidden within CFG because despite what I just said about 87% of the revenue being cities, 752 people are CFG versus 470 people city. So, uh, you know, city clearly will get some of the benefit of the the additional 750 people in the rest of the group, despite the fact that it's, it's only generating 66 million pounds of turnover. Mm. Um, but really, so, so you've got a very complex set of accounts. Now what's particularly interesting in that set of accounts is, is really the amount of money that, that the operation is burning. And so, because I think that was the first thing that I was surprised when I saw the 650 million raised 
because you go, well, hang on a minute. They raised $500 million um, in November 19. Yeah. Right? So that's best part, 400 million quid, right? And you're like, oh, hang on a minute. Where the hell's 400 million quid gone? I mean, it's a lot of money in the context of football. City yeah. have done a few deals around, uh, you know, buying some of these smaller clubs, but still, four, 400 million quid is a lot of cash. So where's it gone? Well, you can see that they have actually burned in 2020 alone about 300 million quid of cash, okay. right? So not not accounting sort of trickery and amortization and non-cash items, but actually 300 million quid of cash across the group. Um, and that's trading losses, that's uh, financing costs, that's interest, uh, all of the, you know, all of the things. It's all set out in, in, the, in the document. But if you're spending and burning through 300 million quid a year in a COVID year, and actually it wasn't even, obviously, the whole of the year wasn't COVID. It was only half the year that was COVID, or actually actually three months of the year that was COVID. Mm. You can kind of get you can get an understanding of why this, why we needed to, we, why CFG needed to raise $650 million, because it's, it's a very, very high cost operation. So if you look at it, what they can't tell you is that um, it, it burnt through the 300 such that by June 2020, despite, yeah. so it raised in November that the Silver Lake money was about 380 yep. net of costs. So it looks like we paid about 10 million quid of costs to to silver lake to to raise the 380 and then we had 132 cfg had 132 in cash left as at 30 june having burnt 300 in the year right okay now what that means is that if you're let's say i mean the burn rate must be more than 300 in a, in the full covid year and so that means that if you forecast out to 30 june 2021 the one that's just gone and, and around the date to which they raised the 650, clearly they needed around about 300 million just to be at net cash zero. Yeah. So 650 is what? Let's say 500 million pounds. Mm. Doesn't leave that much left. No. So bottom line is they've already spent most of that money, right? Not most of it. They've already spent a large chunk of the 650 they've raised. So a large part of the 650 they've raised has been has been to effectively refinance the balance sheet after a very very heavily loss making 2021. Now, you know, I don't know what they will have lost a couple of hundred million quid at the trading line and probably 350 to 400 million cash in the year. I would think something. Something in that sort of order. I mean, these are big numbers. You know, the club they, is the costs are they, the costs are really quite something special. Do they spend more than they make? Just to put it super bluntly. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're heavily loss making. I mean, the, the operating um, costs are there's quite a bit of, of non cash cost like amortization. So uh, uh, by that I mean money that they're not actually paying out. There's just an accounting line, but. If you look on the face of the of the P and L, 
um, of of the accounts, the city account, the CFG accounts. The uh, just I'll just get it up on my screen. The operating expenses are seven hundred and sixty four million pounds over a twelve month period. Yeah, <laughs> on revenue of five four four. So they're losing about 200... Operating loss before profit on disposal of player registrations is 215 million quid. It was 116 the year before. Is that a cash loss or a paper loss? No, no, it's not a cash loss, but there is a cash... The cash loss is not not dramatically different. It's still very, very large, the cash loss. So... um, you know, it's it's fairly complicated to go into it, but you know, you're talking mm. about a situation where the cash cost of employees is 433 million. You know, it's an enormous amount of money. If you yeah. if you were to go and have a look, compare the 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 stated um, the, the stated cost X city, so the CFG wages X city. Uh, 82 million quid. Well, I told you earlier that their turnover at CFG is 66. So they're mm. down, they're down, you know, 15 million quid before they even, before they paid anything else. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but they've got, you know, more than a hundred percent of turnover in, in, in wage cost at the CFG. So, mm. um, and that's, obviously it's a bit this? better than what I'm seeing. So again, why are they doing this? So I'm I'm gonna uh, bear, bear well me. I think that's where you have to get to on it. You need to understand what CFG is, right? Yeah, I, I like think what... CFG. It looks to me as if CFG is a genuine play on glowing, growing a global football business, right? Okay. And is not just it's not it's not as simple as being a um, you know sports washing enterprise. There's some. There's a much bigger plan, a much longer term plan than almost any other football business, probably anywhere in the world. Um, maybe even any sports business anywhere in the world. Mm. Uh, in fact, some of the American ones, but they're just they're in a different realm. I mean, City are just much more of a startup attitude, Silicon Valley type attitude than any other sports business anywhere in the world. Mm. Um, Hence the involvement of people like Silver Lake, um, and hence the incredible cash burn. You know the numbers that City is spending just in that group uh, are unlike any other football club. Um, you know because it's not just it's not just one club, but the numbers are just vast. I mean, if you're burning through three four hundred million quid a year, and th- those are. Those are Silicon Valley startup type burns. Mm. I mean, they're just, you know, you need to be raising, as they've, as they've shown, five, six hundred million dollars. And I think it's interesting that they've raised the money out of the US in dollars, um, you know, without, and I don't think this is, because when I looked at it, I was, what is this? What are they doing with 650? Have they drawn it all down straight away? Well, I think. And they have drawn it all straight down. Like they're actually going to be spending. If you look at it now, they're actually um, actually got quite a big interest cost as well. Because even whilst it makes sense to raise this level of debt, if you look at how much it might be costing, let's say it's at three percent. Mm. One thing that's surprising that you find in the accounts is they're actually paying interest on the on the Silver Lake um, 
raise. So for for real um, accounting balls, if you have a look at note three of the account, there's an interesting disclosure where they got the accounting wrong on the Silver Lake investment when they originally did it, such that it wasn't actually equity, it was debt. And it was an obligation on the business going forward rather than equity, which is usually, well, well, which is meant to be money that's put into the balance sheet, which doesn't have an an ongoing obligation to repay. Um, Because when Silver Lake entered into the deal with City, they had a what what's called a put option in 2030, where they could force the CFG to acquire the preference shares back from Silver Lake in 2030. Quite an unusual um, term within one of these uh, one of these types of raises, but obviously gives Silver Lake some some good leverage. But on top of that, they also have an interest coupon i.e. that they pay interest on an annual basis to Silver Lake for for the money that was raised. So they're paying around about, it looks like they're paying around about a million pound a month in interest to Silver mm. Lake, which what? You know, is not massive. It's not massive money. It's, you know, it's about 12 million quid a year, which is about 3%. On top of that, they'll be paying around 3% on the 650 they've just raised, right? I would think yeah. it's at least 3%. I mean, it, you know, on top of that, you've got arrangement fees and everything else, but 3% on, on, um, 650 million is what about, uh, about 20, $25 million a year. Right. So they're now paying on, on those two lines of, uh, of raise, they're paying best part of 30, I don't know, something like 35 million probably a year. Of, of interest and finance cost. Now, they're probably going to have to raise again next year yeah. because, you know, especially if COVID continues. So, you know, it starts to build up. Now, this is not a normal situation because at some point they can go back to those shareholders and say, right, well, we now need to refinance X, Y, and Z you know, the 650 loan, the Silver Lake money, we need to renegotiate Silver Lake, whatever. They're not, you know, it's not the end of the world, but this is a big, this is a big project in terms of, you know, a, a big long-term project in terms of where they're trying to get to. And they understand, mm. it seems to me, they're going to burn an enormous amount of cash to get there. Mm. You know, they're already, they're already in a billion, right? So if you look on the... Um, if you look on the balance sheet of the CFG as at uh, 30 June 2020, retained earnings, so page 14, retained earnings or loss. So that's a, an accumulation of the money that's been invested into the business. Uh, sorry, an accumulation of the profit and loss since the start of the business. As at 30 June, it was already 1.164 billion. Right? It's probably now pretty close to 1.5 billion of loss accumulated losses in in city football group big big money i mean you know on any basis 1.5 billion pounds is a lot mm. Mm. let me ask you know, a question some, right? you know, don't get me wrong you're not you don't see all of the value of what they've got for that retained loss right because what you don't 
potency on the balance sheet is the value of, let's say, the club, at, let's say $5 billion or whatever it is now, you don't see that. It's not, you know, the, it won't, it, it, it's not represented on the balance sheet as a $5 billion asset. No, no. Um, you know, when as I listen to your talk, I keep thinking about Amazon and I keep thinking about Amazon because I remember watching the documentary and reading a lot about Amazon and how they were basically burning cash and losing money for years and years and years because they had a vision and they were building towards that. Um, now, can you do that in sport? Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk the CFG down, right? Because fine, they want to do that. They should do that. But my question is, can, can it actually be realized in some way one day? Or is yeah, this not? just why a vanity project? No, no, it's not. No, there's no reason why sport is any different. I mean, you know, it's not just Amazon are not the only Silicon Valley business to have burnt billions of pounds of cash before before becoming profitable. Mm. Um, you know, listen to the Deliveroo story. Listen to, you know, uh, Revolut, the, you know, the startup bank has just raised from SoftBank something like $600 million on a $33 billion valuation. It's never made a penny. Mm. Um, uh, you know, uh, if you if you listen to the Deliveroo story, they raised a huge amount of money because they were burning through cash. Um, it's perfectly normal for, for for these businesses to to do that. Uh, Uber exactly the same. Uber have never come close to making any money. There's a great um, four part documentary podcast around that whole sector with Grubhub. Um, and the U.S. DoorDash and all of those businesses well worth a listen to. Understanding, uh, you know, these sorts of the, the attitude that comes out of Silicon Valley around this. So, there's, I don't believe it's a vanity project. I think I believe that there is a genuine project to try and build a sports business that has, you know, very substantial long-term value, uh, and it can still have huge value despite being heavily loss-making. Mm. The problem they've got you know, is like any of these entertainment businesses, COVID is a bit of a game changer. If it can't, if we can't get a, um, a grip of COVID in a proper way across its core markets, we'll have a problem because there's only a certain, you know, number of years that you can keep losing three, 400 million quid. Hmm. Um, I mean, maybe there isn't, maybe there isn't a limit, you know, you just keep putting more money in and, and these guys are, you know, fairly relaxed about it. They've got, they've got 20 year investment horizons. They don't really care, but yeah. it's big, big numbers. That's the only thing to, to keep coming out is big, big numbers. Well, big losses, big cash losses. And it's painful to, to, to have cash losses. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I feel I feel fairly relaxed about it because it's not my money, right? And I kind of ultimately there's you talk we're talking about whether it's Silver Lake or it's Sheikh Mansour or whatever or Chinese investment. You're talking about people that are sat on, like you say, you know, they can invest for twenty years, fifty years, a hundred years. They're not asked. They've got that much money. Um, I want to bring this no, back. But, to, but I think that's an important point. I mean, you shouldn't look at it like that. You know, you, it's not our money. It, I, I'm I'm interested in it. In the same way that I'm interested in that four-part podcast yeah. that, that I told you about, uh, you know, about delivery wars, it, it, you know, about the about the growth of that whole sector. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. You know, if you're interested in sports business, definitely. The, what the CFG are trying to do, what their um, accounts look like, 
how they're raising, you know, the purpose of that article in the Financial Times about them raising $650 million is not to say, uh, from a football aspect, how can City buy Harry Kane? It's to say, this is interesting from a perspective of sports business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But what I'm, I want to bring it back to Harry Kane, funnily enough, because. Well, just before we do, right, there's yeah. a couple of other interesting. Let me just give you a couple of interesting little nuggets in the um, in the accounts. So we actually, CFG actually ended up buying goals. You know, the five-a-side football operator. Yeah. They, they had a JV with goals, and they've now got a five-a-side business in the U.S. that they did with this business called So5. Okay. And they now own 55% of a five-a-side business in the U.S. Wow. Interesting. So they're... I mean, you know, the thing that I find really interesting in it, it, one, is the focus on the U.S. market, and two, it's the sense that they're expanding so rapidly into so many different corners of football that it does feel like a massive, massive power play, that it really, you know, that idea of we want to be the biggest football brand in the world, they're heading in that direction, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I think so. I, I don't think you should underestimate the US because absolutely, although City are, you know, best part of ninety percent of the revenue right now. This is the, the value of those US franchises is enormous, mm. and clearly a big part of what they want to do. And we know that a big part of New York is around sports washing because we've seen it in the leaked emails from uh, the the there was a leak about three years ago. So they do see New York as, as more than just uh, football or sport. But the U.S., if you get it right with those U.S. franchises um, in the M- MLS, they're worth a fortune. And um, so I think it is a lot about the U.S. They see that as a huge opportunity. And then I think in the other markets, they're kind of looking for as, as many low-cost options as they can get in India, China, um, you know, France, I think, is really interesting from a city perspective, city for Manchester City perspective. Yep. And when we come on to talk about the transfers, I think you might see quite a lot going on in the French team. Um, I don't, your French or say the name better than mine, but um, I think they've got a really big opportunity this summer to because they've obviously been promoted. Yep. I wonder whether they're going to start acquiring some interesting players out of the French league that we might see, uh, we might see in Manchester at some point. Mm. Well, I mean, I, I, I think that when I look across all the CFG clubs, I think that, you know, Girona potentially landing in, I mean, they were in La Liga for a year, but man, if they'd have managed to stay up there, it would have been a different conversation. And, and obviously they didn't get promoted, whereas Troy's did. So, We've got a League One club now, and I think that absolutely that will be a great place to both land players to see how they develop, um, and also to use it to flip players. You know, I've I've I'm I'm I've been told by somebody that Omar has a brief of uh, two hundred million euros a year in player trading that he needs to make for 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 the City Football Group across all the the different groups. Um, and that seems, at the same time, both wildly optimistic, and also maybe one day in the future they'll um, they'll get themselves to a place where they can 
generate those sort of uh, those sort of fees for for players. But even this season, I mean, you saw the article that Ducker did yesterday, where it's like. You know, just those little CFG players going at 10, 12, 14 million each. You're getting close to 100 million this summer. So, you know, you, you are, but you, you, you know, it does go back to what we were saying earlier, right? That this is a business that spends 760 million quid on operating expenses. Yes. Right. The, the cost of these, of the CFG player development operation is very, very substantial. They need yeah. to be doing. They're going to need to be doing 100 million quid of sales just to break even in some of these, you know, academy type um, parts of the business. They've got mm. just in CFG X City, they've got 752 people. Yeah. Right. I mean, they've got a lot of cost there. So I don't. And, and it's also in the it's also it's already in the numbers. Like, it's not like we just we haven't got another hundred million quid to spend on transfers because we sold those players is what I'm saying. I, I'm not as blown away by it. They've got, they've got 323 people in football staff, mm. including players in the CFG, uh, X city city. have got 214. The yeah. rest of it has got 323. There's 429 people in commercial and admin mm. X city. So, you know, it's a big operation to fund there. They need to be selling. If, you, if you've got that kind of cost, 100 million is probably the minimum they would expect to be doing per annum on these sorts of sales. Hmm. So uh, when we talk, when we have conversations like this, one of the things that I find fascinating is that we're talking about insane numbers, right? It's always been the way. Um, and we're talking about an organization that is expanding and investing heavily and rapidly right around the world. And then you kind of bring it back to the jewel in the crown, which is Manchester City Football Club and, and this summer in the transfer window. And, you know, I, I find it very difficult to believe that City... I, I, what I find difficult to marry is the CFG, the investment, the cost, all of that shit, and then people saying to me, well, City can't buy Harry Kane, it's too expensive. And I'm going, what? Like it, it, it doesn't. That those two things, they don't make sense to me. So, explain. To, firstly, right, forget about like whether they would or they wouldn't. One hundred and fifty million pound is the uh, is the cost for Harry Kane. Yeah, financially, the people who run the football club can they do that? Well, I, I, I don't think. I think they could. They could do all sorts. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, they could go to the the shareholders and say, we want to spend £500 million on players. So we're doing a fundraise, we're doing an equity raise, and uh, you all have to put your hand in your pocket. In exactly the same way, frankly, that um, some of the other clubs should do, um, in my view. You know, if they're going to actually compete, it's exactly what Arsenal should be doing. They should be saying, we've got no choice but to spend £500 million. Mm. Euro on players, so I don't think you can separate it from the wood. Um, they can do it if they want to, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not. I'm not convinced they're going to spend the sorts of money that I think you're convinced they're going to spend. I, I just find it. I'm not sure they're going to be able to. To be honest, uh, they may be, but uh, I don't think they'll spend 150 million on Kane because I think when it comes to it, even though they could. 
and you know the other the other element that we hadn't talked about earlier is that they've also got a revolving credit facility of 100 million pounds so interesting distinction again between the denomination of the uh, of the um of the debt um between the dollar amount that they raised for 650 and the revolver facility Which and a revolver facility can go up or down so you can just it's like a it's, it's effectively a bank account that you can draw down at will and repay at will so if at some point during the next 12 months they have a cash need let's say they have an extra 50 million they need to find for september and, uh, and october but they know that they're going to be able to sell season tickets for november onwards and it's going to the cash requirement's going to come down they can draw down up to 50 million and then they can reduce it back down as part of the facility and mm. you pay for the facility and you obviously pay for the interest so city i think can do it if if it comes to it they can do it if they want to i just don't believe that when it comes to it they will do uh, uh, so they've got a limit otherwise is that is, is that but hold on I, I want you to i want to drill down into that when you say that that like they can do it but i don't think they will do it is that a will thing? Is that is does this come back to this um the optics of it is for for want of a better phrase, where they've paid sixty sixty five as their top end so far, and they absolutely will not be seen to be doubling that? Well, I think it's part of that. It's it's partly that. It's partly FFP. I don't know where FFP is and the Premier League FFP we also have to think about. You know, um, I don't think they want the trouble they had last time round. No. We don't know what the secret uh, Premier League investigation relates to. Remember that thing that popped up and has yeah, yeah. sort of disappeared? Yeah. We don't know what that is. There's all sorts of things in the background. We also know that there's a whole gang, particularly out of Spain, who are trying to get them on something. Mm. So I just think they're going to be prudent about, about things. Aggressive, but prudent. And I think if you're aggressive but prudent, there's a limit to what you decide to 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 spend. And I and I think it feels to me like they'll do 100, which is aggressive. They mm. might even do 120. Mm. They'd probably do a, a bit of a, a bigger headline deal if it involved a player like a Bernardo, like a Jesus. Mm. Uh, that would work for them because they'd be able to argue that that player was worth whatever. Yeah. I think it's just much harder to see them doing something like 150 for a player who's 28 with off the back of a tournament, you know, with some, some injury history. And, you know, I, I don't have any basis really for that other than just look at the kind of mood mu- music around. It might have been different if we'd have, you know, just two months ago, this, the COVID situation probably didn't look like it's going to look, well, as it looks today, right? So yeah. I think two months ago, the clubs probably sat there thinking, we will be open for business properly in winter 21. Now they must be looking at it going, mm, Maybe not. really not sure we're going to be open for business. Mm. And that's a bit of a game changer, I think. Mm. But how does that, I mean, you know, 
honestly, there's like a, for me, there's like a massive philosophical question, a conversation to be had. And that is that ultimately City are the jewel in the crown, right? So can City fail and the CFG succeed or does Manchester City need to continue to succeed for the CFG to succeed? Well, who's failing? I mean, you know, so no, no, you're no, talking but, about, but you're talking about icing on a on a cake. I mean, the cl- we won the Premier League, we won another trophy. We could easily have won another trophy, and we got to the final of the Champions League. I mean, you know, it's perfectly reasonable for the board to go. Well, I know you want him, right? Clearly, we need a striker. But do you, I mean, we're not we're not exactly crap. Uh, so, oh no, of it's course, just I'm, I'm, hot, it's, you know. but you you. So absolutely, you're right. And I think that this is why I'm talking specifically about Harry Kane and not about Jack Grealish, because ultimately, I think that it's one thing when you look at a position and you go, I've got eight players, but I want another one. I can completely understand the board going, fuck off, you don't need another one, right? It's another thing when you go, there's literally not a guy who can play in that position, right? And you've had a coach who's been made to figure it out. Yeah, and he's figured it out. And yeah, absolutely, you're right that we are the champions. We've got to the Champions League final and blah, blah, blah. But they're going to have to invest in a nine, whether it be this summer, whether it be next summer. Or, you see what I'm driving at here? That you, yeah. you can't put, there's some things that you can't put off, right? And for me, the nine is something that you can't put off. And so, philosophically speaking, and I trust you, right? In the sense that, can you, is there an argument to be made that you, being Ferran, will say to Pep, look, under normal circumstances, we'd give you Kane at any cost this summer because you've asked for him. But because of what's happening with COVID, you're going to have to wait a year. Is there an argument to be made for that? Or is it the case that whether it's this summer or it's that summer or next summer, it doesn't make a massive difference? Well, I can't. The thing I can't, I can't really answer the question because I can't really understand what their plan B is on this one. Because it seems to me that there's not a huge number of options. Yeah. Next summer doesn't make it particularly easier. I mean, yep. uh, you know, you're in a you're in a bum fight for uh, for Haaland, Let's say I think your interest in Kane probably goes this summer. I don't. I don't think you. I don't think you can have any kind of justification of going after Kane next year, mm. next summer. I mean, that so, to me so, doesn't make any sense. He's another year older. You're coming into the World Cup disrupted season anyway. Yeah. Uh, I just I can't see. I think they either sign Kane this summer or, or never. Yeah. But then I next agree. summer you're in a you're in a you're in a fight with God knows how many clubs over um, over Haaland. Uh, if you thought you could get Mbappe on a free, that's a game changer. But nobody, you know, we I think we'd have heard if that was kind of in the plan. Hmm. Uh, I don't know what the, I, I don't really know. I, I don't. That's why I don't really like the situation. That's why I wouldn't have let Aguero go until we'd sorted this out. Uh, it doesn't doesn't make that much sense. It's not like a centre half. I don't think. You know, I, I don't agree. think it's. I don't think it's where you you know there are probably five centre halves that will be. Totally. You don't know which one's going to be the best. Actually, you, yep. you kind of got a hunch that you'd prefer player X, but you don't know which one's going to be the best, and you'll get some benefit from having a different one. You mm. know, so one player will have some attributes better than another. With a striker, I think it's just much harder because there's just so few top strikers around, and I don't know what they're. I, I can't understand what their plan B is. And also, if you think about next summer, 
You've got um, Bayern probably start to think about who's next. You've got, um, well, Barca will just be Barca as they are. United um, will be in for a nine next summer. United, definitely, because the Cavani, mm. you know, bridge will have finished. Chelsea, uh, either they do it this summer or they do it next summer, but they're going to do 100%, it too. 100%. Yeah, uh, I think Madrid, Liverpool, you, even Liverpool. Yeah, absolutely, Liverpool. You know, Liverpool like, it doesn't Rangers. get easier. It doesn't no. get easier. Maybe that that is what plays on it to say, well, we're just going to have to now. Now we are where we are. We're just going to have to get Kane, and and actually, maybe the COVID situation and and the the stress on on the finances at Spurs means that they do come to the table at let's say 120 or something. Mm. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, those are those are the dynamics. I think we know the dynamics. I don't think there's any sort of clever. I think we've, you know, it's been hyper analysed by you know you on on a number of podcasts and and YouTube things. I, I think we know the situation. It just to me, it's there's a lot. Um, it doesn't get any easier. Uh, we're in a bit of a bind on it because. I don't think we've got the backups that some of the other clubs have got. You, you know, the so United think... United have got, you know, things that that can bridge the year. Chelsea have got players that can bridge the year. I just don't see how we do bridge the year. I don't. I, I don't another season of a false nine doesn't fill me with great confidence. No, maybe I it'll agree. Be fine. I agree. I, I maybe think... it'll be fine. I don't know. I, I think the point that you made earlier about the centre backs, I think, is actually the 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 root. Of, of what we're discussing for this summer and whether it be Harry Kane or A and other. I think ultimately, for me, the point is that, like you say, centre-backs, you can kind of roll that dice. You can have three, four, five guys on the list. They're all roughly the same price. And you kind of go, well, if I don't get him, I'll get him. And if I don't get him, I'll get him. Number nine is a very specialist position. Like, it's just, it's... And I think that we've put ourselves in a position where the need has become chronic, right? And the need is, for me, the need's become chronic because Aguero eventually ended up with the injury and all that sort of stuff. I think that were it not for COVID, maybe last year something would have happened, both in terms of an outgoing, I'm thinking about Jesus, and an incoming. Um, And I think that now, this summer, there's... I I always come, you know, when we when we have these conversations around the CFG and around big money, right? I always come back to the idea that Manchester City Football Club is key to all of that sort of shit, and you need to look after that before you look after anything else. And it's very difficult as we sit here for me today on the eighteenth of J- July to imagine a scenario where come the first of September, no number nine has come in, and quite the contrary. Like you say, there isn't a massive list. There isn't even, in my humble opinion, there isn't even two options. Yeah, there's, there's, it's Harry, shit or bust this summer with Harry Kane for me. Um, And that's probably where my confidence comes from. When I say confidence, what I mean by that is just the idea that I've been consistent in saying, I think Kane will be a City player um, come the 1st of September. And the reason I have that confidence is simply that there are no backups. And then I look into the uh, into our squad and I go, I don't see them going with another year of the false nine. I just don't think Guardiola's, you know, I don't think he enjoyed it that much. I think it's quite telling that um, 
SDRA said two weeks ago, I told Pep after the Champions League loss, um, don't worry, this season was truly your masterpiece as a coach. And I know what they're talking about. They're talking about the fact that you did it with one hand tied behind your back. And so then it becomes a conversation about, does he have to then repeat that trick? Or do the board and the ownership and everybody go, all right, we need to figure this out. And I'm currently, I'm in the position where I feel that they will um, they will figure it out. Which makes um, a lot of sense. I, you know, it makes sense. I think, save for two provisos in my mind. One, has the picture changed since they strategized on this in, let's say, January, yes. February, March, you know, where where they will probably in their internal plans have had increased confidence about COVID being in a box. Mm. And secondly, I just wonder whether when it comes to it, they're not as twitchy about being able to figure it out with the squad that we've got as we are. Yeah. So, you know, they go, well, yeah, obviously we prefer to have a striker of Kane's quality, but, it's not the end of the world if we don't. And we've got unbelievable players. We've got unbelievable management. And uh, nobody else has been able to really do what they wanted to do in this window either. And add backers. You know, mm. do do they have more confidence in what we've got than, than we necessarily do? I'm not saying we don't have confidence. I think we do. But I, I think we'd be... I think we've, we've undercooked the nine for a number of years and yep. and we need to fix it. It's just that it doesn't look that easy to fix it when you've got one option, yeah, you know, and it's, and it's a player that Spurs, you know, ideally don't want to lose yeah. because they've got the same problem on the other side. I think, you know, maybe Danny Ings is the answer to this in terms of not for City, well, maybe for City, but probably not for City, but more to unlock Spurs feeling like they can do the deal. Because I think mm. that is also part of it. Spurs need to have a solution to to the other side of this equation that if they do sell him, even for 120, what do they do that keeps them having a half-decent season? Absolutely. Well, look, I mean, um, Leicester have done Pats and Dakar for 22 million, right? Andre Silva's gone to Leipzig for 20-something million. Um uh, there's another night, um, uh, Vlahovic, is that his name? The Serbian guy at Fiorentina, right? Who had a great season last season, a bit of a target man himself. He's been heavily, heavily, heavily linked with Spurs and they're talking about 30 million euro or something like that. So two things go on. Two things happen in my mind when I see this stuff. The first thing is that I go, well, all right, that's interesting. But it's all of these guys that are very highly rated who are all number nines and City haven't even gone near any of them. Fine. That's the first thing. Second thing I want to just very quickly talk to you about is this idea that nobody else is doing anything. Do you not think that Chelsea, Liverpool, certainly Chelsea, Liverpool and Man United, one, aren't done with their summer business and two, come the 1st of September, will have done some significant business? Well, yeah, I mean, well, United already have and, you know, they'll obviously sign somebody at centre-half. Beyond that, I don't think they'll do anything. Uh, but that's a lot. Uh, obviously, if they get if somehow they get thirty million quid for Lingard, then they'll probably try and find something else as well. Um, Liverpool, I don't. I wouldn't be so sure Liverpool are going to do much business. Okay. Because uh, I think they're just, 
you know, all of the things we've talked about apply more to Liverpool unless unless they can find somebody to stick a whole load of cash in. Arsenal obviously will do Ben White, but I don't think they'll do much else mm. uh, of scale because I don't think they're going to be able to sell uh, Lacazette and these sorts of players for anything meaningful. Mm. Uh, and Chelsea, I think Chelsea will do business if they can do it. So yeah. Chelsea, I think, will buy Haaland if they can buy Haaland. And that's our problem. Um, you know, because that is going to close down another option. Um, so Chelsea, I think, are the ones that are a problem for us because they're they're seeing COVID as an opportunity rather than rather than a short term problem. And that's that's their privilege in in the way that they, you know, like us, have access to that cash and are probably less uh, scared about spending it than we seem to be. Hmm. So well, I guess, I guess we'll, we'll, the summer will tell, um, or the end of the summer will certainly tell in, in terms of what our, uh, what our actual appetite is for, for doing the, uh, doing the, the deal for the nine. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to touch upon before we, we wrap this up? Well, I think we've got to wind it up, but we didn't even talk about Grealish, which, you know, is a mystery to me. The whole thing is a mystery. I don't, I don't understand how, I don't understand how he's available if he is available, unless he's got a release clause. And if he's got a release clause, I don't understand how we haven't heard about it, but um, we'll have to see on it, you know, we'll, mm. we'll know soon enough. Well, I, I guess, you know, it goes back to the thing that I said to you earlier that y- you can't, nobody on this planet can convince me that Manchester City will spend 80, 85 million on Jack Grealish, but won't pay whatever the hell Daniel Levy wants for Harry Kane. Because you're talking about a position in which you've already, already got way too many players. And then you're talking about another position in which you've literally not got a functional, serviceable player for that position. So there's, it's massively, you know, it's, it's probably deep down inside a little bit what bothers me about a lot of the Harry Kane reporting. Because a lot of the Harry Kane reporting tonally is basically saying, City are never going to do that deal. They're never going to pay that money. And yet these same people are going, but City are definitely going to sign Harry um, Jack Grealish. And it's like, all right, if Manchester City Football Club do that, the people running the club, mm, I'm going to put a big question mark next to them because it makes no football in sense to me. I Even think that's the, why there must be a cap on it. There just must be. Uh, there must be a release. I mean, you know, there just must be a number that they think they can pay and get it, and it's kind of therefore a different decision making process. But you know, again, as you say, on a footballing, on a footballing base, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. No. Uh, no. No, so I don't know. It, it is a bit weird. The whole thing's a bit weird, right? We only seem to have two targets. Uh, those two targets seem really difficult deals to do unless there's things that we can't work out. The reporting of them has been quite mixed in terms of one minute. I think they both probably would like to come, but there's a difference between wanting to come and kind of making it happen. I I can't see either of them making it happen. The idea that Kane goes on strike, I think, is nonsense. Uh, Really? I know Matt wrote it. Oh, come on. He's just not going to do it. Really? He's the England captain. He's not yeah, going to but, destroy. But He's not on, going to destroy his relationship I, with, I get, with the Spurs I, fans. I, hold or, on. Or, you said something. No, 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 no. You said something earlier, which I think is really important in all of this, right? You said it's now or never for Kane, certainly from City's point of view, right? So if it's now or never for Harry Kane, in the end, 
if he's got to burn that bridge to come to City and win some titles, I don't see why he's not burning that yeah. bridge. Well, that that does make some sense, but I just I, I, I cannot see Harry Kane, England captain, Spurs hero, uh, deciding to literally go on strike, which is what we're talking about. I just mm. don't, you know, not notwithstanding the contradiction that you've pointed out, I, I, I can't see it. Yeah, I mean, look, I think sometimes the threat is enough. And I think that, you know, there, I don't think it's any coincidence, right, that the stories have appeared when they've, when they've appeared. Um, and it feels a little bit like a game of chicken. It'll just be really interesting to see who who blinks first and and uh, and where this ends up uh, ends up landing. It is a weird window, though, for sure. It's a very weird window. I've never known anything like it. And even from a city point of view, I've, since the takeover, there's been very few that have befuddled me as uh, as much as this one had. It, it's the one where I feel as though if I could, I'd just turn everything off until the first of September and check out who we've signed at the end. Because yeah, it's it's hard to make sense of a lot of it. Um, long right. way to go. Yeah, there is a long way to go. Oops. Stefan, thank you very much. Cheers to everybody who listened. Thank you very much. Um, if you want, go over to ninety three twenty player. Check out some of the podcasts that we do there. Four pounds a month. If you want to sign up, sign up for that. Also, Howard Hawking has a season review book out, The Bought Supremacy, which is a year in the life of somebody in lockdown following Manchester City. Incredible summer reading. Get your hands on it. Um, And yeah, in the meantime, be safe, be well, and as always, up the blues.